Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Later we'll get an update on what's going on and around out there, how to protect yourself during a statewide flu outbreak and clusters of whooping cough in Lexington. Also some recent attention getting reports about restaurant inspections. Fayette County Health Commissioner Dr. Craig Humball will be with us shortly. But first, an attention getting report this week from State Auditor Mike Harmon. After extensively looking into Kentucky's public debt. Auditor Harmon came away with some eye-opening numbers. One of those is that about 80% of Kentucky's public debt is because of unfunded pension liabilities in the tens of billions of dollars. It's an issue that's proving elusive to deal with in Frankfurt. Auditor Harmon is joining us this morning to talk about it. Thank you very much for coming. We Good appreciate morning. it. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, so this is uh, attention getting. Uh, very much so. Why did you uh, decide to issue this bulletin? I mean, the timing was just as lawmakers were arriving and sure, to, to sure. start the session. Well, what we have decided to do in the auditor's office, in addition to doing audits, we've also done what we call our data bulletins. And this is the second in our series of data bulletins. Uh, and one of the reasons we're doing it is there's so much information out there that's wonderful for people to know, but a lot of times it's difficult for people to distill it down. So what we did is we took it, we distilled it down, put it in this particular case, 11-page report, so people can see. And, and as you indicated, one of the stunning things things that we looked at for debts, whether you call it debts or obligations or liabilities, you know, we've got about 54.6 billion, and that's uh, with a B, uh, in debt if you include those uh, pension liabilities. Unfortunately, about 80% of that is in fact the pension liabilities, about 43.3 billion. Now these are these are not numbers that we ourselves have audited, these are numbers that are on each of the sites. Uh, information that we have compiled to put into this report. And then you uh, did some other numbers. You looked into how much that amounts to in terms yes. of a, a, a really an obligation for every Kentuckian. Yes, if, if you just do the simple math of taking how much is owed and you divide it by the number of individuals throughout the state, it equates to about 12,200, 12,300 for every man, woman, and child in Kentucky. Uh, so it's, it's not, no one's going to be receiving a direct bill for each of that and for their, their households, but we like to put numbers uh, in a situation so people can easily see the, the concern uh, of an issue that does in fact need to be addressed. Well, that's how heavy the burden is. It is, and very heavy facing burden. all Kentuckians. How much are we spending for interest on debt? Uh, well, uh, for, from a standpoint of, of course, we looked at the total debt of 546 mm -hmm billion. Uh, of that, about 11.2, 11.3 billion is actually either uh, appropriated or uh, non-appropriated debt. Uh, of that, we make about a 1.1, 1.2 billion uh, with a B payment on the 11.2. Now, obviously, that doesn't include the payments that we're making uh, on the uh, unfunded pension liability because typically there's multiple costs involved with that. You've got the simple cost and then you've also got what they call the ARC cost where they mess up and they don't end up, you know, hitting the right uh, uh, figures and so they got to try to work to catch that up. Obviously dealing with the pensions has proven to be uh, elusive and very difficult. You said it's 80 percent of the, the yes. issue that Kentucky faces as yes. far as debt. But you know the pressures from all sides uh, going on, the stakeholders, uh, the, the right. threat of legal action which was taken and was successful last yes. year. Yes. Uh, the pension bill that was passed was overturned by the state Supreme Court. Uh, how do lawmakers go forward uh, in this situation? It, it's a tough, uh, tough <laughs> difficult situation. You know, I actually served 13 years in the Kentucky sure. General Assembly, so we faced, you know, very similar. Uh, I mean, personally, if I was still in there, I would probably recommend looking at three different bills, at least three different bills. 
Uh, I know they had looked at a, uh, moving everybody into what's the revised cash hybrid, which is what they're calling the tier four. Uh, I would recommend if you're going to do that, do one bill to move everybody, every new person into that uh, effective July 1st of 2019. Uh, I would probably recommend a second bill because part of the process of the one bill, they were going to move the tier three people into the tier four, which was the original cash hybrid that we had looked at while I was actually in there back in 2013. Uh, and I would do one bill to roll that. And then anything else, you know, your level dollar funding or anything along that lines, uh, you can address in a third bill. That way, if one, if you know, if the third one gets struck down, uh, it would be highly unlikely that one and two would get struck down. So is Kentucky basically in a position of that this could be dealt with going forward, but the obligations that are already there right. are there. Right? The, the obligations are there, and one of the things they were wanting to do with the cash hybrid is it. You know, right now the the entire risk, other than the initial contribution from both the state and the the individual employee both of the any additional risk whether the assumptions are wrong or whether the payroll growth is wrong that rests with the state and by the state I mean the taxpayers so with the cash hybrid what it was going to do is kind of have a blended risk uh, in that regards you know some of it would be on the employee some of it would still be on the employer because there's certain guarantees within that cash hybrid we hear that Kentucky has uh, you know one of if not the worst <coughs> funded pension system in the country. Yes. What are your findings on that? Well, in our report, we looked at, at both, you know, uh, the from the standpoint of the total debt as well as we looked at the bond ratings. Now, if you look specifically at the bond ratings, uh, if you look at our seven surrounding states, uh, we are actually next to last when it comes to our bond ratings, with Illinois being last. So we said, thank goodness for Illinois. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we can get a handle on this? I mean, you, you know, you watch the legislature, and as you said, a, a former member right. yourself. I mean, do you think this can get handled in this session, or is it going to take uh, some time? I, I would hope that it would be handled in the session because the further we push it off the more you know if you're talking about if someone's bleeding or whatever you've got to stop the bleeding uh, and then you can address it uh, from a standpoint but I think it can be it's just the biggest problem right now we are such a divided whether it's this issue or other issues we're such divided both in the state and the country but we've got to find areas of commonality and we've got to be able to come together because it needs to be addressed the, in the first step of uh, you know addressing it is admitting that we do in fact have a problem uh, all right we'll see what happens uh, you are busy in your office in many other ways very busy uh, you have identified an area that uh, you believe uh, needs more legislative oversight and yeah that is uh, it has to do with uh, economic development yeah economic development if you look at our data bulletin uh, there are uh, several uh, what we call appropriated debt most of those uh, individuals and most of those agencies have certain caps on the amount that they can appropriate KEDFA, the Kentucky Economic Development Finance Authority, does not have uh, any cap. And we saw a situation with Kentucky Wired where basically you, you know, the General Assembly appropriated initial $30 million, and then with one signature, they flipped the script and uh, they put basically a $1.5 billion with a B. Uh, obligation on the state and by the state I mean taxpayers again that uh, you know with with just one signature so we need a situation where there needs to be proper oversight obviously uh, on some of these items they will become come before legislative committees uh, but 
their decisions can actually be overridden. You know, let's talk a little bit on economic development, what the state tries to do. Taxpayers apparently uh, hold a $15 million stake in a, a promise company in northeastern Kentucky, mm -hmm. Brady, Brady Industries. Right. Uh, we had the InterBlue economic uh, announcement over in uh, Pike County, eastern Kentucky. That's now on hold. How careful does the state need to be with uh, uh, the promises it makes, or in fact, in some cases, obligations with money it makes, right. uh, in trying to lure companies? Well, in the past, generally what I have said, especially when I was in the General Assembly, I like economic development packages that are paid as an incentive when they're actually produced. For instance, you have some companies that, you know, if they generate sales tax, uh, they can get a portion of that sales tax back. But if they never generate a sales tax, then they don't get anything because they haven't generated. So, I mean, I'm more in favor of things along that lines. I know you have to be creative. I know it's a competitive market. Uh, you know, I, I think the current administration has done a good job in trying to get businesses in. There's been more commitments, billions of dollars of commitments, and unfortunately some of those, as you indicated, have fallen through. Uh, but it is an important thing for the state. You looked into the Kentucky Information Technology Office, and uh, some concerns were raised about how some uh, very sensitive information is handled. Right. Well, we just released our SWAC, the Statewide Single Audit of Kentucky, and uh, there were two findings, I think it was 10 and 11, that talked about uh, COT uh, and, and some of those. Uh, some of them had to do with not knowing exactly where uh, the servers that they were backing up were or if they were in fact being backed up, and then the second finding dealt more with uh, there were folders that allowed some people to have access to them that in fact probably didn't need access. Now, we, we don't have any knowledge the fact that anybody improperly accessed those, but uh, you know, when we audit, there there is a a, a theory that uh, certain people should be limited only to the the minimum amount that they that need to access. We don't need other people to get in there if that's not part of their job duty. So there was a concern that there could possibly uh, be access or unauthorized access. Uh, had we not made that comment. And my understanding is they're working towards getting that corrected as well. You're so. always looking uh, over local governments as well, mm -hmm. doing uh, regular and special we, examinations yes. of those. Uh, what uh, stands out as, uh, as maybe a recurring issue that uh, that local governments or local officials... Uh, well, have? and we've talked about this before, you know, kind of a recurring, and a lot of times it's, it's overlooked, but a, a lack of segregation of duties. Uh, and what I mean by that is you've got one person doing everything, taking cash in, making deposits, and there's no one looking over their shoulders. And generally, if you've got somebody that you can trust, uh, that doesn't blossom into something more. But, you know, we had a situation, and, and they just recently pled guilty. Uh, we did an audit of uh, Jackson County, and the uh, former treasurer there, we found that she had written herself about $124,000 uh, more in checks than what she was supposed to have, about half that from federal, half of that from just the general fund. And so we referred that to the FBI and they have since found more. I think it ended up, they ended up finding a total of like 162, where she has since pled guilty uh, to that. So, you know, that that's something like lack of segregation of dues. We always want to make sure that uh, people take that seriously. If people see things going on or uh, things that appear to be uh, sure. wasted tax dollars to them, yes. uh, what action can they take to get your attention? Well, and that's the great thing as citizens. You have the opportunity to, you know, uh, let us know. We have a website, auditor.ky.gov. Uh, there's a called Safe House. They can click on that or they can call 1-800-KY-ALERT and uh, provide those tips. And if we're actually auditing, say, like a county, we can refer those uh, tips to our either our auditor or if there's a CPA auditing in that county and then so they can take a look at that and see if they can expand uh, their testing if it's you know if it's something other than the county then we can take a look and see if it's something we need to approach
Are you busy right now heading into the spring? We're very busy. I mean, we're, we're doing a little bit of everything. Of course, we do about 600 audits per year, and we're always looking you know, at new special exams. We're always, of course, we have a lot of stuff that we just do statutorily, but we are very busy. It's an election year. You're up for re-election. It is an election you, year. You, you, yeah. Does that make, I mean, this is a kind of uh, office that I would think that's somewhat difficult in that you know, it's partisan, and people question why is it partisan to be uh, the, the auditor? Uh, you're a Republican. Do you pick on the Democrat uh, uh, counties and so forth? Is that something that is uh, is difficult as a as a person who holds you, that you, office? You have to walk a fine line. Um, you know, when I first came in, I told all our auditors, I don't want to hear that you've targeted anybody. I don't want to hear that you've given anybody a pass. I just want you all to follow the data. And I, I have jokingly said that you know, uh, you know, I am elected as a partisan, but when I come into that office. I take that partisan hat off, put on my independent, nonpartisan auditor uh, hat, and we just go to work. Auditor Mike Harmon, thanks for coming. Thank Appreciate you. it very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Keep it here with us on Midmorning and the WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Fayette County Health Commissioner Dr. Craig Humball will talk about some precautions maybe we should all be taking. It's ahead. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers on WKYT. We've been seeing some trends in the news lately that caused us to want to talk with our next guest. UK Healthcare is restricting hospital visits after a spike in flu cases, part of some widespread activity in Kentucky. Pertussis or whooping cough cases have now been reported in several Lexington schools. There was a lot of attention recently to the restaurant inspections in Fayette County when some well-known eateries were called out for problems that could make customers sick. Dr. Craig Humbaugh as Fayette County's Health Commissioner, and he's joining us today. We've let some issues pile up since you were here last. Uh, thank you, Bill. <laughs> we Good appreciate you here. coming in. Uh, so here we are. Let's uh, talk about being in the middle of winter and things are going around out there. The mm -hmm. flu season uh, proving to be tough this year, although not as uh, deadly as some years that we've had. Yeah, it's making an appearance again here in Kentucky as it usually does in the winter. Uh, flu is considered to be widespread. Activity is prevalent around the state and Lexington is no exception. That's not unusual in January and February. Uh, and that has caused some restrictions at certain hospitals and nursing homes. Uh, again, we've talked about this before, but the best thing to prevent the flu is get the flu vaccination. Um, uh, wash your hands frequently. If you cough or sneeze, do that into your elbow or your sleeve. And then if you're sick, stay at home. On and on we hear people uh, who do not get the flu shot say, well, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they have uh, qualms about it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the, the flu shot is not 100% effective. And on the average season, it's usually about 50% effective. Uh, but, you know, what I always tell people is if you get the flu shot, then you're 50% less likely to get the flu than the next guy who didn't. Is it uh, potentially likely to lessen the uh, severity of the case? It can do that as well. Uh, yeah. When we see places like UK Healthcare putting in visitor restrictions mm -hmm. uh, and others, as you said, uh, what should that tell us about the the activity out there? That mm -hmm. they're having a problem at their facility? Well, I think what it tells them is is if they're they're being proactive and they're taking steps because they don't want to see flu spreading at their facility into to their patients or to their staff, and so. They're, they're being proactive into trying to prevent the spread of, of flu in those facilities. And they have some of the most vulnerable people in hospitals and nursing homes, and, and they want to protect those folks. Do those precautions usually have good outcomes? 
They often do because, uh, again, they're stepping up, uh, wearing masks, telling people stay home if you have the flu, and also using more hand sanitizer if you're not at a hand washing station. We uh, all may have thought that uh, pertussis or whooping cough mm -hmm. uh, was largely a thing mm -hmm. of the past, and now mm -hmm. suddenly uh, several cases around Lexington in schools. Uh, what are your concerns about mm -hmm. that? Well, there has been a, a cluster here in January in February of pertussis or whooping cough cases. Whooping cough is, is caused by a, a bacteria and it actually circulates in Kentucky um, year round throughout the year. It's often carried in the adult population and adults don't tend to get as sick with whooping cough. They do tend to get the, the, the bacteria though, the illness, because often they're uh, quite a ways away from their initial childhood vaccinations and they're losing immunity. Um, but most healthy adults have relatively mild cases. Our concern is that when the adult population spreads the whooping cough bacteria to very young children like infants less than 12 years of age or other vulnerable populations. So infants less than 12 years of uh, 12 months of age, excuse me, um, who get whooping cough, about half of those have to be hospitalized and one in a hundred infants die mm -hmm. uh, who, who get pertussis. So can you have the specter mm -hmm. of, of an adult mm -hmm. who generally just thinks they have a sort of a nagging cold, yeah, yeah. but then they're passing on whooping cough to kids. Exactly. And one study showed that uh, a full 20% of adults who had a persistent new cough uh, for over three months had whooping cough and didn't realize it. Parents may have thought, uh, you know, that they had their kids vaccinated, uh, that they shouldn't uh, shouldn't mm -hmm. get whooping cough, that mm -hmm. nobody should get it for <laughs> lifetime as a result of getting that shot. Do they need a booster? Or what? They do need a booster at 11 to 12 years of age. So that's really important. And those of us who are adults also should get that booster if we have it. Now, right now, it, the booster is called Tdap and it's combined with tetanus and diphtheria. So when you go in for, let's say, your uh, tetanus booster, you can get that combined shot that also has protection against pertussis. I'm sure you're watching another trend in several other states. I think about 10 states have cases mm -hmm. of the measles. Fortunately, mm -hmm. in Kentucky at this point, we have not had that. We have not had any here in Fayette County and we'll continue to surveil for that, uh, you know, to watch. Um, but uh, we haven't had any reports of measles here, which is knock on wood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the, the most uh, recent restaurant inspections uh, were mm -hmm. attention getting. A series mm -hmm. of stories by Janet Patton of the Lexington Herald Leader uh, were eye opening. What causes so many restaurants, including upscale establishments, to fall short of public mm -hmm. health standards? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a great question. So first of all, what we do in terms of environmental health inspectors inspecting restaurants is probably one of the most visible ways that people realize that we help Lexington be well at the health department. And what we're doing is enforcing um, federal and state food codes. And uh, when we go in to inspect, and that's often unannounced, uh, that's a snapshot of what's happening at that particular restaurant on that given day. And sometimes the performance is good and sometimes the performance is not as good as what we would like. And so restaurants who um, are consistently underperforming, um, we have them, we place them on a what we call a probationary list and they get special 
special attention or special help and more frequent inspections um, to help aid them to come up to um, where we feel they should be in terms of their restaurant scores. What kind of training is required uh -huh. of food handlers and is mm -hmm. it adequate? Yes, well they we provide food handler training for and, and it's required for all food handlers yeah. and it can be uh, we have both on-site classes at the health department but more and more of our food handlers also take online classes and food managers are also required to take classes as well a different type of of training for higher level employees. Um, but a lot about it is, uh, is about keeping hot foods hot, cold foods cold, and not con cross contaminating, and of course cleanliness of the facilities. Obviously you're being very transparent when you release all of the details about those, uh, those inspections. Do restaurant owners sometimes push back at uh, some of those details getting out there? Um, well, we're actually lucky in that most cases we have a really good uh, relationship with the restaurant owners and, and the managers at the restaurant. And if they do perform poorly on an inspection, then we try to work with them to um, help them to be able to fix those those problems that they're having. And often we'll have a conference with them. And even if we have to close them, often within a few days, they're able to solve or resolve those issues and, and, and get back open. But I know you're a man of specificity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but mm -hmm. should generally people mm -hmm. feel comfortable eating out, do you think? I think so, but I always tell consumers or patrons, you know, as you said, we try to be very uh, transparent about the scores. So um, when you're trying to decide, um, look at the placard and the restaurant where you're going to. It should have the score and uh, what the ins the basics of the inspection. Or, um, you know, go to our website and peruse the, the scores uh, on our website at LexingtonHealthDepartment.org. Are the hepatitis A yeah. concerns uh, lessening? Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, we're still seeing uh, at least a case a day has been being reported here in Lexington, and we're uh, now up to over 160 cases associated with this particular outbreak uh, here in Lexington alone. And when you contrast that with the fact that we normally have about a case of hepatitis A a year, a case a day is so much more. Um, and although we did have a peak number of cases in November, we still continue in January in December to see uh, you know quite a few cases and we have not yet by any means declared victory on this and unfortunately we need to get more and more people we're glad for the people who've been vaccinated but the best way to stop this is going to get more and more of the community vaccinated against hepatitis A. Fayette County Health Commissioner Dr. Craig Humbaugh is our guest we have some more questions for him before we go on Kentucky Newsmakers hope you'll stay with us. Welcome back. It's Kentucky Newsmakers on WKYT. We're visiting with Dr. Craig Humball. He is Fayette County's health commissioner and uh, learning about uh, lots of topics. The opioid crisis has not let up, Dr. Humball. Uh, we're still losing uh, young people in large numbers to overdoses. Any light at the uh, end of the tunnel that you can see? Well, it, it has been very challenging for all of us. We still are seeing um, significant numbers of people who are dying from opioid overdose deaths 
here in Fayette County. That number seems to be leveling off, but certainly not decreasing at all uh, in the county. And um, you know, one of the things we try to do at, at uh, the health department is to offer naloxone, which is a is an antidote to opioid overdoses and gives people a second chance if they are overdosing to um, to recover and then hopefully get into to treatment and recovery. Yeah. IV drug use mm -hmm. has uh, caused all sorts of uh, issues. There's a move uh, in the state legislature which approved these needle exchanges mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years mm -hmm. ago to now require those exchanges to be one for one. That mm -hmm. is, you do not get any more needles back than you brought in. Right. Uh, do you take a position on that? Yeah, we do. We think we have a really good track record at the Lexington Fayette County Health Department. We've been operating our needle exchange for about three years now. We've seen actually over 21,000 visits and almost distributed um, three quarters of a million, actually over three quarters of a million needles just in Lexington alone. Um, but we find that our mature clients do return their needles and we're at a rate of about every uh, needle that goes out about 0.83 to 0.89, somewhere like that, come back to us. And so we would say uh, the literature really does not support a strict one-to-one -one exchange as a viable method of um, reducing bloodborne the spread of bloodborne diseases like HIV and hepatitis C. And that's really the design of the program. The program's designed to do that. And so a strict one-to-one -one, uh, would, I think, uh, would be detrimental in terms of our clients and, and what we're trying to accomplish in terms of the spread um, the spread of the disease. How often are you able to get mm -hmm. people into treatment mm -hmm. because of the contact you have in that yeah. program? Well, we're fortunate there in that we have a lot of partners in the city and around the city um, uh, who come in to provide counseling services to our clients. And so uh, during the hours that we're open for a needle exchange, which is on um, Wednesdays from 3 to 6 and Fridays from 11 to 4 or 650 Newtown Pike location, um, we have counselors that are available. And if that's the day that our clients say, hey, I want to get into treatment, um, we, you know, they, they're available to talk with the counselors then. Less than a minute, I want to try to get mm -hmm. this in. Uh, vaping or juuling, mm -hmm. uh, becoming rampant among mm -hmm. teenagers right now. Yeah. How concerned are you? We are concerned about that. It can be, uh, there can, many of these products contain nicotine. Uh, the dejuling and vaping products, uh, they can be a, an entryway for young people into, um, into smoking, traditional smoking. Uh, they're also very easy to conceal. Sometimes they're just like little thumb drives. Um, and so uh, they may, the par parents may not know that they're vaping. And so, uh, yes, it is a concern for us. Commissioner Humboldt, thanks for coming. Appreciate yeah. it very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning on Mid-Morning at 10 and WKYT News at Noon. Make it a good week ahead.